A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Hi, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you F1 blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called Bambi on Turn 3. I'm your host, Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matthew Abraham Trumpets. How's it going, Matt? Abraham. Well, you're American. Did the show turn all biblical just because of the rain? I thought all Americans had the middle name Abraham. I was being culturally sensitive. No, you were being a racist if you think that. And I, I definitely didn't accuse half of America of being that. Uh, for more information, check out Spanner's Log. It's not a funny title for a blog post. That's at SpannersReady.com. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, if you check your numbers carefully, at best, you're talking about a quarter of the population. True. A statistic that I bring up in Spanner's Log. So, Slightly less. So, anyway, thank ahead. you very much for getting ready in time, because obviously you're hard-pressed. We did not expect the race to go on for, what, three hours from lights to flag? Something like that? Yeah, well, you know, and we will get to it later in the show. But they could have been done significantly earlier if they had possessed, well, some brain all the power. organs of which they should have been possessed. Now, you know two things about me for sure. One, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, and I wanted something bad to happen to Nico Rosberg. And two, I am not a patient man. As you know, this was a very, very frustrating few hours for me. Uh, yeah, it was for me, too. I was, And this is the thing, and we'll get to this, and I'm afraid to give away my rant, but how do you take the championship on the line and a wet race in Brazil and make more than half of it boring? I don't know, but the FAA found a way to do it today. They found a way. The FOM found a way. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by SpannersReady.com, the home of F1 articles and some Formula E stuff too. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work, so no naughty words. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background, in the car, or at work. Why don't, let's just do this, you and me. Let's keep it you and me, Matt. 
It sounds like a plan, but what about all those other people I can see on my camera? I guess Wouldn't that, that just be wrong to leave them out? It would be super awkward. Joining us from the center of everyone's heating issues, it's Boiler Manganate, uh, heir to the Boiler Fortune of Luton, Alex Van Jean. Jean Z. You sometimes have no idea what's about to come out of your mouth, do you? That is, that's true all the time. <laughs> I am very good, especially after a extremely entertaining race that I didn't go and play Battlefield through. I, I did. I went and played Battlefield 1 when they did the big red flag because I was just like, oh, come on. I'm not sitting here through another You're such stoppage. a plastic Formula 1 fan. Oh, really? I'm the plastic Formula 1 fan? You said to me you were only coming on this show if the title was still open. And if Rosberg <laughs> that's won... That's because I'm a crybaby. <laughs> Now, now I do applaud that level of hamfosi commitment. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. So, so that's fine. You can stay. Joining us, secondly, is from Formula Spy, radio star, journalist Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. You're still sticking with the Rainbow Sparkles. I thought you liked it. I, d- I don't understand it. Well, basically, I called you that, and then you reacted. So, by the rule of the playground, that's now you forever. <laughs> The gold, if you get a nickname you don't like, the golden rule is just shut up. Don't, don't say anything. Anyway, we're working on your production skills because you're going to help us survive Missed Apex over the winter with some recording. You're going to do some producing for e-radio show. So you're hitting record and, and doing a backup recording for us today. Yes, yes, I am. I fear I may have already messed something up, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that and uh, deal with it later. Well, life is about making mistakes and you live life to the fullest, don't you, Chris? Oh, Ra- yes, absolutely. <laughs> Rounding off the panel is Ryan Ferret. Ferris, Ryan, what adventures have you been on? Uh, not many, but I got one question, Spanners. Um, is there a two-hour limit to this show and then any <laughs> any mess-ups around the show is the best part within four hours is that good or no no like when you insulted me for being much what well, did you say double your age and i hung up on you that was a technical timeout the podcast was the live stream was red flagged in that time and the time does not tick down that doesn't count as podcast time right okay it's brilliant that and a hi to the YouTube live stream. We are streaming live on YouTube. We've got all fancy bits around our cameras. I'm still working on trying to make it look professional. Guys, you could have dressed up. We're YouTube stars now. So uh, we've got a few more people in the chat room now because it's it's a lot easier to get onto YouTube. So uh, come and join us, www.spannersready.com forward slash live stream. You'll find the link to the YouTube page there and I'll stick it in the Facebook group. And hello to anyone listening who was part of the race thread in the Missed Apex Facebook group because uh, that was really busy and really good fun today so very very happy with that let's go on to some pre-race stuff matt one of the regulation changes that you failed to mention last week is that in every brazilian grand prix fernando alonso must create a new memeable action this is correct if it's brazil and it's alonso it's clearly a meme And this time around, it was a lawn chair plus a remotely operated camera that made for all of the fun in FP2. I do like Fernando Alonso's attitude in his later years to stuff. He's just like, no, I'm a millionaire racing driver. I can go and have fun. And I I like to think that he's doing some of the stuff we would all do if we were in that position. Yeah, and I suspect that would be absolutely true. I mean, who wouldn't want to be let loose with an FOM camera? I tell you what, though, isn't it great to see someone who's not a professional cameraman use those systems? And it just makes you realize how much skill those guys really do have. As with many things we see on television, it turns out there's a fair amount of skill involved in actually doing it well, which may not be apparent. 
this is what we said, isn't it? It's that the athlete, what, what did you call it? The athlete fallacy, where we just see an athlete doing something very, very well and assume it's easy. Yeah, absolutely. You see it on TV. Everyone makes it look easy. Therefore, you assume it's easy. And then when it's hard, you fail to understand. Now, I said, oh, nothing really happened in qualifying. Not really worth talking about. And then you yelled at me. So would you like to run us through a bit of qualifying, Matt? What, what, was, what stood out? You're going to say what everyone says after qualifying. Oh, look, McLaren didn't come last. Aren't they brilliant? They're definitely going to win a world championship now. No, nah, well, there's a couple of things that really stood out for me. Uh, one of them was Kimi in third place at the end of Q3, which will make a certain Vivian Beauvais rather <laughs> happy. Yes. Or would have made uh, the race would have mostly subtracted that feeling, I expect. But also what was really astonishing was Romain Grosjean's time good for P7, which yep. it's been a long time since we've seen Haas at that end of the grid. So I was really surprised. Like, how can that Haas team get a time so close to the Ferrari then? What what happened? Well, here's the thing to remember. First of all, the Haas is like a mini Ferrari. So any issue that Haas is having, probably Ferrari's having it too, just less obviously. And one of the big issues for them has been tires and temperatures. And if you'll recall, the, the weather in qualifying was significantly different to that of the free practices. It was much cooler. It was overcast. And it turns out that's really, really good for them. One of their two good races was also, I believe, in in the desert at night, again, with track temperatures that were more to their liking. So I think that's part of it. But the other part of it was, and now I know Grosjean has come in for his fair share of pony awards, but he has been banging on relentlessly about the brakes on this car. And they finally got some Carbon Industries brakes on the car instead of the Brembo's. And he liked them rather a lot to the point where he said they were running them this weekend. So if his brake feel is improved and he has confidence, as we all know from listening to the three-hour Omega Tau podcast, yeah, yeah, that turns yeah, out to be worth rather a lot of lap time for Haas. And and did he stick with those brakes throughout the weekend? Because I heard he qualified on his original Brembo t- brakes is what I heard. Well, I don't don't know. In motorsport, he was quoted as saying they were running them this weekend. So it was a little unclear to me. So anyone wants to ring up Haas and ask them that question while we're on They did get through a weekend without a break, like having a big black puff of smoke and then failing completely. So the evidence would suggest they've changed something because that's been happening a lot this season. Yeah, I I would have to I would be astonished if they hadn't changed it just based on the time he was able to put in because he had no faith left in Brembo. Okay, give us some other highlights of qualifying. Well, I think the other highlight has to be the uh, race between the two Mercedes, no? I mean, you have Hamilton setting a super quick time for his banker into the 110s, about a 110.8-something, and Rosberg just over the 111. So it was a significant difference between them, about a tenth and a half. And there, there, as we saw actually with all of his laps, Hamilton was faster in sector two, which led him to be faster in sector three. And those of you who might recall the race two years ago, it was exactly the opposite. Hamilton owned sector one and Rosberg, it was sector two and sector three, which is kind of brilliant if you've got DRS because you want to be able to pull out that gap as you're headed down the start finish straight. In this case, it let Hamilton keep the momentum through sector three, which led to faster lap times. But he almost got Rosberg. He was three thousandth of a second slower than Rosberg on his first FP1 effort, not some, uh, or sector one effort in Q3. Chris, I felt that Hamilton had him covered the whole time. 
Well, he certainly hit the ground running in FP1. Um, but I kind of get the feeling that Nico tends to uh, hold something back, uh, especially on Fridays now, because we know that on his side of the garage, things are getting pretty marginal with uh, his engines. You know, he's, he's got uh, one more race to go, hopefully without anything uh, going wrong. But um, yeah, yeah, I certainly feel like the, the final effort in Q3 was definitely his most representative form of pace. And once again, you are both wrong and full of ignorance, my friend. It's not that he was holding anything back engine-wise. It's that he has access to Hamilton's telemetry to help him see where he's losing time. And as we all know, he's one of the best when it comes to studying things and making improvements, which is not a skill that all drivers possess, lest you think I'm only denigrating his performance that is not true but what the other thing you failed to point out was is that rosberg's second lap in the waning moments of q3 would have been good enough for pole had hamilton not bettered his first effort yeah so maybe the track evolved and they both went a bit faster big deal hamilton had him absolutely covered but did you not i love look don't shake your head at me that's such a condescending okay fine i will i will i will say out loud i think you were incorrect I don't think Hamilton had it covered till he got it done. I mean, he had him covered in the sense that he did the job, but it was not it was not a done deal when he walked into Q3. He, he had to put up or he would have had to have shut up. OK, and wasn't it interesting, though, before the start of the race, Rosberg comes over team radio. How common do you think this is, Alex? He came over the radio and said, what is the brake balance on the other car as they were going round in the wet? And is there any reason why I can't do it now? Is that telling or is that nothing? That shows his complete and utter lack of confidence in wet conditions, as far as I'm concerned. As he, I was listening to that, and I was absolutely flabbergasted to actually hear that over the radio. I'm surprised that wasn't a little bit more secretive, but I guess in the um, circumstances of what they were in, that he didn't have much of a choice but to ask that. But to come out and categorically say, what's Lewis doing? Because I don't know what I'm doing, is a bit telling. Oh, good. It wasn't just me. It did seem really... on For those people who like to say that Rosberg steals the setup blatantly from from Lewis Hamilton that certainly didn't help did it Ryan no certainly not um but I don't know it's one thing that sort of uh infuriates me because obviously there has been times when Hamilton's used the setup from Rosberg when Hamilton's been sort of stood around scratching his head wondering why Rosberg's quicker than him to be honest you know it's you're saying oh yeah uh oh yeah Rosberg just still set up but you know when the ball's in the other park or whatever you know it's still it's still the exact same thing Hamilton steals from Rosberg there's a bit of a mechanical chat there's a bit of a mechanical chat going on in the chat room Ryan I know you're a mechanic um is flanges a dirty word or are they talking about car parts uh it's sort of 50 50 on that one because they're sort of both (laughs) <laughs> and I must point out that, that Hannah in the chat room uh, thinks that there was there's some rather dishy Mercedes mechanics. And uh, you're going to agree sorry. about the Mercedes dishy mechanics? What? No, no. Sorry. Did you say flanges? Yeah. Is it meant to be flangy? Is that a friend's reference? I don't know. I've got no mm, idea. No, what flange is actually a word. That's true. It's, it it's a part. I think you've killed that one there, boys. OK, so the next question is, lads. Alex, you're a, you're a lad. I can tell you're a player. I know you're a family man now, but I can tell you grew up. Uh, you you grew up with some smooth moves, some smooth lines, and you never struggled for companionship. Did you like Lewis Hamilton's 
good preparation for the after party by making sure the good girl was nice and warm with some gallant behaviour. I wouldn't have done anything any different to that. It's just good logistics. Just, just good logistics. That is that he saved time. Is what he's done. He yes, saved time he later on. Out. Let's go on to the race. Okay, it was not a riveting start. It wasn't the standing start we perhaps wanted. As F1 fans, Matt, I think we want standing starts because we love the turn one action from a standing start. As a Lewis Hamilton fan, I wanted the safety car start because I felt what would happen would be that Nico would still be under pressure from behind and Lewis Hamilton would have a clear run. And let's be honest, he hasn't had the best of luck from a standing start this season. No, his his clutches have been somewhat random, it, it, it would have appeared. I don't know. A standing start would have been exceedingly nerve-wracking, I think, for all the drivers. But realistically, you weren't going to get that because they needed the cars trundling around and getting the water off the track with the full wets. And that's really where it was. I think I think if it I think if the track itself wasn't set on the side of a hill and you didn't have these massive rivers of water they were trying to dry, they might have actually gone for a standing start because the start finish straight did not look as terrible as other parts of the track. But that's still going to be the exception, not the rule. Chris, you're absolutely right. Like the, the start finish straight wasn't, uh, you know, bad compared to the rest of the track. It was mainly the run up the hill that was so uh, treacherous. And, and fair play to Charlie Whiting. He was all for having a proper standing start. He really, really wanted to have a, you know, a proper start and not have to use the safety car. I think if Roman Grosjean hadn't binned it on his reconnaissance lap, uh, maybe he would have, um, maybe he would have done that. But the feedback from a lot of the drivers was that, you know, we want a standing start and it was probably going to be safer to have a standing start actually, because you'll be coming into turn one with a heck of a lot less speed than you would have been with a safety car start. All right then, Chris, well, explain this to me. Why, when they start under a safety car, don't they just pick a time to start and then and then go? So get the safety car out, you've got going, you've got a rolling start, pull in and just start at the end of that lap. Why do they need seven laps? Because they didn't clear a lot of water. Is that the idea? They're trying to suck up water? I suppose it's more just to give uh, drivers a bit of a feel for the track before they... Um, get going but um, I I don't see that as a good reason to to keep the safety car out for so long yeah the the safety car might have been out too long but the main reason to run the cars around a couple of laps first is to get as much water off the track as possible at a certain point they have to go faster to clear more water which you know math but beyond that in addition to giving them a look at the track it's primarily so that Whitey can get feedback from the drivers the teams can get feedback from the drivers and so they can get the water off the track. So it's going to it's it's rarely going to be a single lap and go unless uh, unless the conditions are almost to the point where enters are required. Wow. Now, there you go. That's an interesting point you make, because in Silverstone, they stayed out to the point that they they were genuinely better off going on to inters. But here we didn't quite get to that point. But I think there was there was a strange reaction from the teams, Alex, where they felt like because the race was about to start, they were, they were drawn towards Inters. It's almost like we've been primed to believe that Charlie Whiting won't pull the safety car in and won't start the race until extreme wet tyres are not needed anymore. 
I think it's got a lot to do with the track. Silverstone's a much newer circuit, much better drainage. So once it's dry enough to race, it's dry enough to race, and then it's instantly opportunity to switch over to the intermediate tyres. But uh, 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 Brazil, it's in a bowl, and it's an old circuit, and there's the, the drainage isn't there to make it work. So I think that'll be the reason for it. But people just seem to think, oh, let's take a gamble and go to Inters. But... Um, I don't think it was the right call today. But you've got to remember as well that the drivers after that race in Silverstone had a lot of criticism for Pirelli and their full wet tyre. They do not like how it performs in in its supposedly optimal conditions. They think it doesn't clear enough water. It doesn't grip like it, it should do. And so whenever we end up in that position where we have to use it, they don't want to use it they want to get off it as quickly as possible it's just it's a fact that it doesn't clear as much water as the bridgestones used to lewis ran it all the way to slick tires in monaco ah, okay well there's an exception to the rule that's the exception that proves that rule because lewis doesn't like the intermediate tires so he kind of seems to get onto the slicks earlier and will run the extremes later if that makes sense in drying conditions no, but certain, yeah, maybe so. But I mean, uh, Vettel was the big, biggest uh, crybaby oh, of Pirelli. Sorry. But I mean, it, it's been echoed in Brazil. Grosjean's had a lot to say about them. Um, I think Palmer as well. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if when uh, I, I get some of the press releases from the teams later that we get m- more drivers uh, saying the same things. Matt, speaking of tyres then, speaking of tyres, yeah. that, that was the main toss-up that the teams had today, which is, it was bizarre. They're saying the Inters are better, as in they're faster in this condition, but they're more susceptible to the aquaplaning. Is that just down to tread depth or the the amount, the, the ratio between the gaps and the tread? Oh, all right, what? Uh, well, this is one of these things where I your your question is a fair one, but if you think about it at all for a second or two, which I am sad to admit, but it's possible I've done. What you'll realize is the problem with the enters is they're faster where the track is drier, but much more dangerous where the track is full on covered with water. And that's what we saw over and over and over again. We think of rainfall because we think of rainfall as being sort of a steady average thing. But if you look at the track and the way the water drains, there were clearly some patches of the track that were very, very wet and almost always had some standing water on them. And then there were there were points where Lewis was like, my tires are starting to burn up because there's so little water left on the racing line. And this is the issue you face when you go to the enters. Your average lap time might be quicker on the inners, but you might also be looking at a greater chance of going off the track if you run them. And that's about the best the conditions ever got today. Alex. That's exactly what Max was saying, which is the reason he went to the inters and it was a second quicker in each of the first two sectors. But then he was nowhere and potentially had the potential for going off in the final sector and it wasn't worth the risk. Um, And I think the wets have at the full wets have a much wider window in what to operate in than the inters do so for a race for example like the mercedes had today it was much safer for them to be on the wets rather than risk the inters and the chat room the chat room are teaching me about the 2017 regulations of how they're going to do wet starts and safety car starts which basically you go around behind the safety car then you grid up while the safety car disappears and that is apparently how they're going to start is that not right alex 
Oh, you look like yeah, you were that's, disagreeing that's, with that's, me. That's, I, no, I was, I, was, I, was, I was actually saying, how did you not know that? They've been talking about it for at least six months. Okay, so um, here's how podcasting works. If I just go, oh, no, well, I won't talk about that because I already knew it, might be a pretty quick show. <laughs> no, they're going to they're gonna do what is the right thing, which is go out there, clean the track up, get the and then line them up on the grid and get the race started. But Martin Brundle, Brundle mentioned, if it's really bad weather, picking out where they need to be for that grid lineup is going to be tricky. So it's going to be interesting, whatever happens. Predictably, uh, one of the first to go onto the Inters was Jensen Button using his busted flush tactic of gambling onto Inters. And he tried that 17 times today, and I don't think it actually paid off once, Matt. Yes. Do you know what my favorite message of the entire race was? Do it. I don't care if everyone else is going on to Inters. I need to be on full webs. The car is undrivable. I don't care what other kids are doing. I don't care when they do their homework. And and I see Ryan wanting in, but it, but he has been on about the undrivability of the car the whole weekend, while Alonso has just like been swanning about effortlessly. Yeah, Ryan. Um, I, talking about uh, quotes, what about Marcus Ericsson almost doing a full-on Kimi Räikkönen going, leave me alone for a minute, please? No one cares about Ericsson. No, but it's still a great quote. And it was Magnussen. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Oh my God, racist. Great input. Great input. The flags are similar. Thanks, Ryan. Chris, do better than that. Right. I I want to talk about this Jensen Button thing because he was fathomed after qualifying about what on earth had happened to his car. He had a really nice setup on uh, Friday, which was much, much hotter than it was uh, for qualifying. And they'd gone to FP3 on Saturday morning and his car was an absolute dog. So I can't help but feel that, you know, what we saw in the race today was just a further extension of that problem. And what compound you're on, the car just isn't responding well the way you want it to. So if he's desperately trying to work out, yeah, which compound do we need to be on? He just says, I I don't care. The wets were working fine. We'll take those. He was so lost in qualifying yesterday. He said the car had both understeer and oversteer. It's never good. And tellingly, he said, I've only got two qualifyings left and I'm rather pleased about that, to be honest. And he seems like a man who's probably, probably had enough. We'll invite him on. We'll invite him on to talk about it if he wants to talk to anyone. Uh, then, Matt, we had our first red flag caused by the the sea's greatest occupant, Marcus Ericsson, who, like, it looked like he was unlucky at first. It looked like he was a victim of the aquaplaning and the bad and the bad conditions. But to be fair, it looked like he took a lot of liberties on the white lines on the inside. Well, you, 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 that was certainly what the commentators pointed at. But if we cast our minds much further along in the race, he was not the only person to almost hit that particular part of the track and not even the only one to come to rest right in the middle of the pent lane entry. Now, was he? Wow, you didn't watch the bit where Massa crashed and wound up in the pit lane? Yeah, yeah. In exactly but, the same spot? But Ericsson well, did, his car did lose control when he hit the white line and like Massa. Yeah, Massa went over the curbs. Yeah, but he actually lost control after he went over the curbs, not whilst he was on the curbs. Chris? Right, but I'm but, just saying that part of the track was where we saw three mm-hmm. cars almost entirely lose it, including Verstappen. Ericsson and Massa were both on the inter-tire as well, tellingly. you know. So it, it just goes, that inter-tire, it wasn't handling the conditions in those final sector well. 
it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because at complaining will screw you on whatever tie you're on in the real scheme of things and it was bad round there and you notice that everyone that had the incident was actually really really tight Massa's one was slightly different because he understeered and hit the curb on the outside and it spat him into the wall so it's definitely Massa's fault fantastic glad we glad we figured that out as we go on to the first award of the day Matt can you guess the first unique award for this week it is the Bluffer Award 2016, seeing as Matt's gone silent. It's the Bluffer Award 2016 when Danny Ricardo came into the pits after it had been closed. And you're thinking, well, that's a bolted on penalty there. And then you get Horner coming on. Oh, yeah, I reckon he had uh, he had a puncher, I think. And he did not sound confident at all. Yeah, I think he had a, had a puncher. That, that's why he had to come in. And the commentary team on Sky said to him, all right, so you mean you were forced to bring him in on a safety ground? Said, yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. So I was sat at home thinking, yeah, Christian, that's great. We're going to need to go ahead and see that tie data. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It turns out he actually did have a puncture, but sadly it was due to a pocket knife with the initial CH on it. So they disallowed it. Yes, interesting. So he absolutely gets that bluffer award. Well done, Red Bull. Um, I do, I think, I do like, I do like the way they play the tactics. Well, I was going to say, and yeah, absolutely right. But the fascinating thing was that Verstappen really did manage to pit stop before they got that pit entry closed, which was frightening to watch him <laughs> trying to get into the pits. Well, there was a, there was around a, with the visibility we had today. There was a lot of frightening things because just before that, Vettel spun and he ended up spinning just up over the crest pointing the wrong way and I really was wondering how how did he manage to get turned around he must have at some point just had to take a gamble and say well I'm I'm just going to go now because there's, there's no way you could have seen over the hill down to the corner pretty sure the team with GPS data might have helped him out a little bit there oh yeah I wasn't thinking about that technology things they can do and my uh, cleaning up like a teenager award goes to the marshal who was clearing up the debris from Marcus Ericsson because that was lame. He ran out into the middle of the track, kicked it, but then he turned around and he kicked another bit of debris about a metre back in the other direction. And that just reminds me of my kids when I ask them to tidy stuff up and they sort of brush it from one side to the other for a little while. Yeah, well, you're talking about the talking about kicking debris off. And, and one of the things that the chat room has brought up that I promised them I would irritate you with is the fact that the teams are no longer allowed under Park for May rules to make right height adjustments to the cars in weather like this, which plays a fairly big role a lot of times in the aquaplaning and disastrous nature of some of the offs that we did see today. However, with the um, wet tyres, they are, because of their thick tread blocks, they do actually raise the ride height a considerable amount, which the teams consider justified. Come on, Spanners, you have an opinion on this. I know. No, I don't. It's very interesting. Thanks for that bit of wonderful information. <laughs> that, that's absolutely great. Let's move on to the next portion of the thingy watsits. Okay, so we had a really, really long restart, Matt. So the next thing I want to talk about is when is it that we're allowed to go racing? I mean, here we go. There's a red flag. Fair enough. There was a fairly major crash. Makes sense. Bring them in. We go back out onto the safety car. We run a lap. We run another lap. We run yet another lap. Some of the drivers are starting to say, let's get racing. It starts to get hard for them to keep the tire, the, the temperature in their tires up because the safety car itself can only go so fast. And and all we hear, with the sole exception of, can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess who didn't want to go racing? Sebastian Vettel. 
Yes, that would be correct. I could see Alex was just about to see to say that. Yeah, Vettel didn't want to go wrestling. But everybody else we heard from was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then it was, nope, we're going to just red flag it again after eight more laps behind the safety car, which is kind of mental. But you think to yourself, mm, yeah, Alex. And arguably at that point, it was one of the best weather conditions we've had for the entire race. When we had when they brought them out for the final section where the race actually finished, it was much, much worse, much worse. Yeah, and it's very easy for us to to sit here and, and say, oh, well, they should be doing this and they should be doing that because, you know, we're the ones sat watching it behind a screen and are not the ones with, you know, 65 litres of water per second being thrown into our faces from the car behind. And we had just seen Kimi Raikkonen completely aquaplane on the pit straight, on the full wet tyre. But when you've got 99% of the field saying the track's fine, it's the best it's ever been, why you would then make the decision to red flag the race is a little bit beyond me. I've seen them racing far worse conditions, Austin 2015 being the most recent example. Yeah, well, we, we've often seen them race in, in much worse conditions. And I think that's kind of it, because as, as Alex said, when they came back out, the 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 it was not as good as when they went in. So why was there that 15, 20 minute stoppage for the best weather the race was going to see? Yeah, Chris. But didn't Lewis say the track feels no different? It was the first yeah. thing he said on the radio when they came back out. Yeah, and Verstappen said it was actually a little bit worse when they came out the second time and actually wound up restarting the race. So I found myself just growing increasingly irritated, not least of which, I mean, I know everyone's bringing up safety all the time, but not least of which, if, if Vettel really felt it was unsafe or any of the other drivers, they always had the option, a la Nikki Lauda, of just like not going back out in the car. I mean, come on, if your car is really unsafe then you should park it. And the team should understand that because they have the data too. Yeah, Alex. On the safety point, I think they're still very, very scarred from Jules's crash in in Japan. Um, and I can understand the hesitation. But when you've got a field of drivers all saying, go, 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 go. Interestingly, we heard nothing from Rosberg. Nothing from Rosberg's radio. Because I bet he'd have said, no, 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 let's just pack up and go home. Well, I'll take the half points and well, we can go away. We did after Massa's crash, didn't we? We did hear, hear Rosberg saying, well, how many cars, how many more cars are you going to let crash? You know, let's just, let's just bin it here. I missed, I, to be fair, I missed that. Yeah. I, must, um, I thought that was Vettel. I think that was later in the race that Rosberg said. Yes, that's that, what no? I said. It, later in the race, yes. After Massa's crash. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm sure he was all about getting off the track in position to as soon as possible yeah. and uh, rightfully so i think um rosberg obviously doesn't want the race to continue for obvious reasons i think sebastian vettel is so fed up with 2016 i think he is very ready for this season to be over and he just wants to go go home back to his family and think about 2017 i've just developed a new working theory on ferrari and it is that they have Vettel driving for them and Raikkonen driving for them. And I think in today's conditions, it became very apparent. I think that car is worse than last year's car. And I think both the drivers know it. And I don't think it's getting any better. And I do. I will bring up a quote that Marchione had the previous week where he said he was not willing to dump unlimited amounts of money into the team yeah. next year. Which, of course, with new regulations, the one thing that's utterly required to be competitive is, of course, 
unlimited amounts of money. I think Vettel is suffering a very serious case of buyer's remorse at this point. P. Wright in the chat room says, didn't I hear someone say that the radio we heard was selective? And I'm, I'm sure it could well be, but we were we were still hearing a lot of people. Go on, Matt. Yeah, no, the radio is always selective. The FOM chooses what we get to hear. But of the radio that we heard, the majority of the drivers were like, let's go. And it's not just Lewis, who, of course, you you would just have to put in the column of, yes, of course he wants this to happen because he's hoping something bad will happen to Rosberg. Or he knows that Rosberg has struggled in the wet in the past. So full points for him is an advantage. And not just Verstappen, but we heard some drivers at the back saying, come on, let's go. And Botas, I think, was like, come on, man, let's let's get this thing started. People with less of a championship axe to grind were also soon to be on the same page of let's race now while the track is in, in pretty good shape. And this is as good as it's going to get behind the safety car because the safety car can't run at the same speeds as the race cars can. But let's talk about the race. Go on. I think it's interesting to note that that was the second time during that event that the drivers had been ignored almost. Okay, but let's talk mm. let's talk about the racing for a while because when we did get some on track action, uh, I mean between the NASA and Raikkonen crash, we did get fifteen whole seconds of action, didn't we? <laughs> Which is we go, all right, okay, get back in the box, go back to sleep, and I did eventually end up playing Battlefield One. Uh, but when we did get action going, it was actually spectacular. It was interesting because we saw, as predicted, Nico Rosberg not be great from the start not be able to warm up his tires very much and what we found was that he was a bit bambi on turn three not being able to accelerate and verstappen pounced and managed to get him yeah well i think what we really saw was how many restarts did hamilton already have that day and 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 every time he took a different approach to the restart. And we know on the last one he was he actually radioed in and not only talking about how his tires were kind of done but also he's like ah, my temperatures are starting to go. And his race engineer, being very calm, was like, Lewis, you start stomping on those brakes and the tires will heat right up. Don't you worry about it. And so off he goes. But the last time I noticed that he waited much later to get on the throttle going up the hill. Now, you could make the argument that was so that uh, a massa type event did not happen to him. Or you could make the argument that every time he restarted, he kept half an eye on what happened to Rosberg relative to Verstappen. And he finally worked out how to back him properly up so that he would be vulnerable to Max (laughs) down the start finish rate. And that's the story I'm going to stick with. I think he figured out, finally, he figured out the math and and got Rosberg into trouble with Verstappen because that's sure what it looked like to me. Yeah, and uh, one thing was, I'm trying to think, was the Raikkonen crash the final red flag we saw? Because uh, obviously another thing that happened amongst the melee of that was uh, Palmer rear-ending Kvyat in what he uh, described was he couldn't see anything past his uh, steering wheel. I think that happened when the Raikkonen thing on the same restart as the Raikkonen incident because he retired. And no, that wasn't the final red flag because they went out and ran after the track was cleared. And then they red flagged it again for 10 or 15 inexplicable minutes and then they went back out and ran some more laps under the safety car and then we finally got racing like a proper exciting wet race which is what we all thought would happen from the very very beginning of the show and now that i've brought you up to speed ryan <laughs> off yeah, the snapchat was... and pay attention 
I was I was just going back to something uh, some for some fans key moment of a Brit uh, going out of the race that we missed. Now and that's interesting because we we were pretty harsh on Palmer. I think Alex, you were as well. I can't I cannot remember which which side of the the fence you came on. But a lot of people have been pretty harsh about Palmer, and he he has got it together in the second half of the season enough to earn that contract. And then as soon as he's got the contract. He he make he's now with all of the things Palmer's done, you can kind of go, oh well, that was unlucky, or that was there was the reason for that. It was quite easy to make little excuses for him, but we were having to do it quite a lot. But you know, thankfully he's got his contract now because had he had it still been up in the air. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile dot com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This probably wouldn't have helped. I think mistakes in this weather are entirely forgivable. Any mistake a driver makes in these conditions is entirely forgivable. Running into the back of somebody off of a restart when someone decides to get off the throttle because they're scared of that complaining and losing the back, and it's easy to misjudge it. I wouldn't judge Palmer on that. I judged him a lot at the beginning of the season. I didn't. I wasn't too keen at the beginning of the season, but you've just seen him grow. And to be fair, I'm, I'm so I was so pleased that he got the next year at Renault. I'm so pleased for him. Yeah, and uh, Palmer's been a, very much this year like he was in GP2 because in GP2 he sort of started off and he was nowhere. And eventually, as he sort of grown to the car and got used to it, he got better and better and better. And that's sort of what he's shown uh, throughout this season. So I believe next year, obviously, well, potentially is going to have a much better car underneath him uh, and hopefully he's going to get even better and better. I don't think he's an out-the-box talent like Max, like Lewis. I think he's more of a Jensen Button, more of a Nico uh, Rosberg kind of driver. But, but but we had Jordan King on, who said to, he said to us, and he's our best friend now, that that's one of the traits of being a good driver is how adaptable you are and how quickly you get up to speed. Yeah, but you don't have that. You can always teach someone to get a little... You can always... It's difficult. You've always got speed. You've either got speed or you don't. And it's really difficult to... It's easy to bring somebody back. Like with, like with Grosjean, when he first came in, he was a bit of the crash kid. You managed to drag him back because he always had that speed. Um, but I think with Palmer, it, he will be like, he, he's not going to be a world champion. I don't think any of us think that. Um, 
like we kind of did with Jensen, like with Nico, and they're both in the perfect situation where they got themselves into the perfect situation where they could win a championship. Matt? Yeah, well, I, I think what you're saying, if I'm going, if I, if I may be so bold as to paraphrase it, is you take someone like Lewis, he's up to speed in half a session, whatever you put him in. You take someone like Rosberg, and at the end of three sessions, he's up to speed. And Palmer, I think, takes a long time to develop the confidence in the machine. Because clearly when he has a confidence, he can drive. He is not untalented. But relative to a lot of the other faces we see in F1, it took him a very long time to get there. But what we don't know, we know his floor, but what we don't know quite yet is what his ceiling is. Because I will say, his first race in Melbourne, he looked mighty, mighty good until it all went wrong for him. And once it went wrong for him, it was most of his season before he came back. Okay, now it's time for my favorite game. Whose fault is this? Oh, well, I have to have my sound turned up for the bumpers, though. As you know, I could not get out of the burning building in my house without my wife trying to establish who was to blame. And I get fed up with perfectly reasonable people like Vortex Motio and uh, and people like Catman who just say it's racing. Just let them let them race. And Neil Palmer, he says, let them race. No, I want to establish blame. But more more importantly, I want to establish the rules of F1, or at least come to a consensus on what we think the rules of F1 are. Now, there are three instances I want to talk about this week, and they all involve Vettel, but I think these ones are quite straightforward. So the first one was, there was a nice bit of shoving between Alonso and Vettel. We'll put this to Alex first, if you remember the incident. Uh, Vettel manages to pull off a good move uh, on the inside, I think in the second of that series of hairpins. Alonso doesn't give up, and then tries to pursue on the outside and ends up off track great move by Vettel Alonso held on too long it's as simple as that that makes for great discussion Chris I think Vettel probably didn't even know he was there I mean you look in your mirrors all you can see is a wall of spray uh either that he may have even (laughs) just completely just understeered I bet you a million space bucks why do you even need to pick a blame thing anyway just let them do what they want. No, that's ridiculous. But that that really is the core argument I have with people in our WhatsApp group all the time. Oh, just let them do what they want. Well, that's fine. What Are we really saying there's just no consequences? If you say let them do what they want, that means if I'm coming up on the inside of someone, I just don't break. I just don't break and expect them to jump out of the way. There's got to be some rules, obviously. You can't just say well, there are- just let them race. There is, as long as your name uh, isn't Max Verstappen, you know. Because there clearly isn't any rules uh, regarding Max Verstappen, but um, no, I think uh, I think Vettel could have left a little bit more room. Consider, I think if he'd if he'd have sort of considering what the conditions were like, if he sort of left a little bit of tolerance uh, to allow for potentially if there is a car there which he might not have seen to have a little bit of room. Uh, Let's face it, Ryan, if the cars raced like that, both Vettel and Alonso would have been sat on the apex going after you. No, after you. No, after you. It's racing. These things will happen. And under the conditions, it was not the worst of excesses, shall we say. Alex. It was a totally standard 
move. Alonso did the typical standard thing of anyone who is too keen to stick it to hold on to a position and hung around the outside where he did not belong or deserve to be there. He was so out of position for that corner. Vettel had all the road in the world to take it up on and he definitely knew Alonso was there and Alonso should have backed out. It's as simple as that. However much I'd love to 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 crap on um Alonso. Hamilton, no. <laughs> Wait a minute, Matt, Bethel. before you go, Matt Graff, uh, who I believe is American in the chat room, says, yeah, that kind of feels like a NASCAR thing. Just let them race, whatever. Yeah, and maybe the key is, as uh, uh, PW Rate 488 says, well, would have Alonso left any room for Vettel? Well, he were w- the shoe on the other foot, as it were? <laughs> that definitely not. But he was quite polite with Vettel coming down the inside. He definitely left racing room, although obviously he had the motivation if he was then trying to cut back onto the outside. But no, you're right, gone, right? Well, I was sort of thinking, obviously, Alonso was thinking, i got to keep my foot in on this, or else uh, there's no no chance, sort of thing. If I can keep alongside Vettel and potentially be back in front at the end of Jung Chao, then, uh, then there's still something left. But the moment Vettel gets past Alonso, then it, he's just dead and buried, effectively. So, so what I think, Alex, if you'll agree with this, is when you do that move on the outside, you've either got to think you're correct to be able to do that and stay there and let the car hit you or or you've got to back off and take your place up behind the car i think if alonso was to do that move again if that if the whole situation was to pan itself out um how uh, alonso would have backed off dove up the inside and gone for the move at the last corner up the inside that's what i would have tried to do because there's absolutely no hope being around the outside especially in those conditions but it depends if we're um, sticking to uh, track limits um, spanners because <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> stay inside the white lines today okay so blackout 19 in the chat room are you a wizard because you just said oh my god we'll be back on track limits at this rate uh, alex i know what you're going to say about track limits we will come to that ryan yeah, well, I was going to say, obviously, to annoy, uh, possibly annoy Blackout 19. What if we did the reverse of the track limits and put the uh, electric shock collar on the person who nudges the person off? So it, if you nudge people off, then you'll get an electric shock as well as if you go on track limits. And like Alex, is, Alex is mouthing loudly that he didn't he didn't shove him off. Uh, we, OK, so we had a, another incident. OK, so you're talking about track limits. Your comment to me earlier was... Oh look, they can they can stick to the white lines if they have to. Yeah, but that that's a nothing argument because yes, they have to because the grass is there. But you could have the option to just put tarmac there. Spanners, you literally said before they need to do these things within the rules to stay within the rules. That's and not what no I said. Consequences. That's not what I said. I said there is- has to be defined rules that we can then stick to, like like the defined rules of the layout of the racetrack. Well, no, but the rules are laid out by the marshals. So if they say there's no penalty because there's no advantage for going wide, then that is then within the rules to go off track limits. So they're not breaking any rules. Chris? Tracks should be designed so that if you do exceed track limits, you are penalised straight away. We should not have to have the intervention of the stewards to decide whether you have gained an advantage by leaving the track, because you shouldn't. Matt? Right, and what that ignores... My woefully undereducated. Here's why you're all wrong. Is that there are two states that one can leave the track in intentionally or unintentionally. And so as with much of rest of society, we generally don't punish the unintentional thing as much as the intentional thing. So first you have to define your terms. What are you talking about with track limits? Should a driver who's been spun off the track because someone rear ended them face the same amount of punishment as someone who purposefully drives over the white line so as to be able to keep their foot in it and not lose a position? 
If the answer to that question is no, then you need to rethink the way you're going about this. Okay, so we don't have time really for my second whose fault is it, but I just will say that to Vettel, who complained who didn't complain when he shoved Max Verstappen off, and then when Max did pretty much the same thing, then had a major whinge about it. Does he not hear himself? Is he surrounded by yes-men? I'm just going to say it. I think I can settle this. If your radio message to Charlie starts, my nose is barely in front of him on the outside, then you've already lost. Yeah, well, do you know what? Is there even a rule that says if your nose is slightly ahead or slightly behind that that makes a difference to what you can and can't do? No, there isn't. That rule isn't written down anywhere. And this is my major complaint about Formula One racing. You say let them race, but it's fine. Just define some rules of what you're allowed to do or who's in the right, who's in the wrong. They manage it with every other sport. It's like ping pong. No, I won't do a ping pong analogy. I'm only joking. (laughs) But let's just have some defined racing rules so we can say, oh, yeah, look, Vettel did have his thing in front. Therefore, he was entitled to some room on the outside. That would be a very easy rule to write. It would be a very easy rule to write. But any rule you write like that is going to find a shade of gray very, very rapidly. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Alex? Every single incident... Every single overtake on every single corner is always different. So someone would have found there would have been a different way around it to get it through. So you can't have one select rule. Of course you, you can't can. just be right. Rubbish. Okay, you're up the inside. Rubbish. The corner's yours. Wrong. It doesn't work that way. That's wrong. Of otherwise, course you can. Otherwise, Max would have never pulled off half the moves like he did on um, Perez later in the race. No two fouls in football are the same, but you have certain rules like you can't do two feet from behind. You can't show studs. You have certain rules that guide the referee's decision. In F1 at the moment, you don't have any. Ryan? I was I was going to say, obviously, uh, it, isn't there a rule, mind you, that's regarding blocking, but if there's a certain portion, i.e. the nose is alongside the car, then you're not allowed to block or make some form of move inwards to essentially crunch them onto the apex. Okay, so some, some, some room from the chat room. They're saying that they're going to construct a missed apex bingo and the first suggestion for it was four boring gits track limits all right fine we get the message we get the message. we'll have a dedicated track limit show as we do uh, every other day okay come on then okay then matt this is the bit i always go to you for how the race was won because for a long long time and by rights by merit max verstappen had the measure of nico rosberg today as he did in silverstone the second place was his for the taking Yeah, well, if you ask how the race was won, I would say that Hamilton drove around the track faster than everybody else in the least accumulated time, and therefore he won the race. It's good podcasting. But but if you're asking, strategically speaking, what made it interesting, it was Red Bull's, and I will use the word dodgy here, dodgy decision to not split their strategy with Verstappen running second on the road and not that much time left in the race. That pretty much ended his chance of being P2, which not only P2, but we saw earlier in the race, he he actually made Hamilton sweat a little bit early on when he was on the enters the first time around. He was he got within a second of Lewis and was setting some fast laps. The safety car. Yeah, didn't help. But yeah. Alex, if the rain was consistently going off and the radar showed that there was no more rain coming, then it would have been a really good call for Red Bull and the correct call. But it baffled me when everyone was talking about more rain coming in 20 minutes of increased intensity. I just thought, what are you doing? Have they, t- have they, have they taken somebody from Ferrari to give them their strategy calls? <laughs> yeah, it just it didn't make sense. They had road position. 
And 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 with Ricardo, see the thing is they pitted Ricardo. And Ricardo was still he was not that far behind. And his lap times would have put pressure on Mercedes to maybe pit Rosberg to counter that strategy so that he wasn't going to go to P4 from P3. But instead, Verstappen bailing from P2. If you're Mercedes, you're like, all day long, baby. All day long. Thing normally it's the age old art of being on the right tire at the right time. You know, if you're four or five seconds a lap quicker for four or five laps, you've gained that pit stop back already. And uh, if there was this 20 minute window where the intertire was better, you would have made that work. But <laughs> Dave, the intertire wasn't significantly quicker than the full wet, was it? So Wait a minute. Four or five seconds a lap. When does that ever happen? That happened, I mean, maybe, no, maybe a full second today. a lap. Not today, but normally the it, when you go from a wet compound to a, an intermediate, that's about that can be about four or five seconds sometimes. Chat room saying uh, via Hannah saying Ferrari's strategy department may as well be run by Jeremy Clarkson, who incidentally uh, rolled out the same tired tweet he does every time there's a safety car. You know how to drive in the wet. I know how to drive in the wet. How come Formula One drivers don't know how to drive? Every single time gets cleverer every single time. Let's get our bearings. Let's get this ship back on the road. I must say, Rosberg, spawny. Very, very spawny. He he, he carved out a second place and everyone's going to point to, well, he did what he had to do and that means he's deserving, blah, blah, blah. But he was unable to stay ahead on merit of the second best car. And he, he was lucky again. I just wanted to point out for all the people who've been listening to the podcast up till now that the word you just previously used was ship with a P. Every. Because it was not entirely obvious to my ears on this headphone. Same. <laughs> Oops. Right. Sorry. Sorry about that. Right. Okay. Well, just, that, well that... it is a family podcast. And for the avoidance of any doubt, as the stewards are so fond of saying. All right. <laughs> well, uh, well, that explains the beep you just heard a little while ago. There was no intention. It's a podcasting instant. It's just a podcasting instant, Chris. Just let them podcast. There's no need was to have any rules. There's no need to have any rules about it. Was it within podcast limits? All right, then. Massa out, which on the face of it seemed like a disaster. It seemed like, oh, well, you know, that's his last race in Interlagos. You know, poor fella. This isn't how he wanted it to end. But really, Matt, it was probably the most incredible way he could have said goodbye to Brazil. You and I agree. He could not have gone out any better way. Let's face it. The Williams is a mess in the wet. He would have not had a really great finish. Instead, he gets a massive smash, a long walk with a Brazilian flag wrapped around him back to the pits. And everyone in the garage is coming out to give him an applause as he embraces his family. You know, it's almost like they had writers writing the script. It was a very touching moment with all the pit crews coming out, giving him a, a, a walk of honour. And it had that feeling of like this was the end of the race. But, you know, the pit lane was actually open while he was still at his the first Williams guy that was, he was hugging. He hugged another 15 on the way in. But the pit lane had been open for some time. Yeah, but nobody in the right mind was coming in for any tires at that point. Wow. Except for, well, we know Red Bull had already made their choice. And Ferrari, random. It could have been a, ra a random Ferrari pit stop to go into Super Softs, couldn't it? Yeah, you know, and again, yeah, they complain about the aqua plane. At the end of the day, that car is just a dog. They're lucky to be only in third place. That's what I will say. Okay, so I must say, I've never been Felipe Massa's biggest fan, but you cannot deny his heart. He has poured his pure passion and soul into his Formula One career, and he sort of he's carried the weight of a nation that has people like Etten Senna to look up to. 
and uh, but perhaps you know softened by Rubens Barrichello that pressure. But you know he's definitely he's definitely a whole nation's favourite of Formula One fans, isn't he? So in a way that was a, a perfect moment in Formula One. He's a likable bloke, but no legend is he. Yeah, but you know some countries look look at Frank Bruno. Look how much we loved him. Frank Bruno was like the biggest sporting star and he only just about won a title at the end of his career you know it, it, i don't want to say lovable loser but he certainly won a lot of friends literally who frank bruno are you serious <laughs> <laughs> ryan you've angered him i've actually removed ryan from the skype call so oh dear that's how that's how i was, much say, I, I was thinking more of eddie the eagle for you guys but, yeah you know. shall i add him back <laughs> Let's hope he's got a sense of humor about that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's hope that he does. But Alex, I mean, is there not a rather large asterisk next to Mass's name that's shaped exactly like a spring off a brawn? How do you mean? No, as in a good asterisk, as in his career could as have in, been as so in much more. saying he yeah. was no great driver, but I mean, come on. He lost, it seemed like to me, a couple of years of the very best of his driving to that accident and for him to be able to come back and and be as remotely as competitive as he is that's quite a story he had one good season in the best car on the grid and i just i i, I never saw felipe as a world beater you know he's again in that rosberg button um camp unfortunately for me all right boys let's talk about let's talk about max verstappen he obviously had to make another pit stop he recognized I'm not going to get anywhere on these inters. He says, give me, give me some wet tires. It puts him way down the grid. Everyone getting really, really excited about the way he came through the grid. Now, I'll admit, I'll admit he was taking some lines that other people weren't taking. He was amazing. He was uh, around the second one of those hairpins. He seemed to be just following the line all the way around the outside to overtake people. It looked incredible. Turn three, he was taking a line that others weren't taking. Was it as incredible as it seemed, Matt? Yes, and right there is when you begin shrieking at your television about those eight wasted laps behind the safety <laughs> car between the two red flags because those eight laps were the difference between Verstappen finishing third and him putting Rosberg under very serious pressure for second. And that's why those laps matter, and that's why it was just F1 losing a piece of its heritage, that that is the best they could have done today of all days. Sorry, I had to rant about that at some point. There it was. No, Verstappen was clever around the outside because if you look at the camber of the turns, that's where there was actually less water. And Red Bull knew for a fact there was brilliant grip along the outside of turn three. And both drivers were very well of that. Uh, we're very well aware of that as I lose the ability to speak. Alex. Um, what the line it shows how from his karting heritage because the outside line in the wet is what they traditionally call the karting line because it's where all the discarded rubber and all the rubbish from all the all the rubbish from the track is and in those conditions it's where there's much much more grip because the actual racing line where um where all the rubber's been laid down there's less grip on sorry chris i know i jumped in 
No, no, it's fine. I, I can add to that actually because it it works the same for like the inside on a braking zone. Again, the discarded rubber. There's lots of really good grip there, and it was he was just using his head. You know where he was making those passes. He was so inventive with where he put his car. And I know that we give Verstappen a lot of shtick, you know, for races like Mexico or Spa, for example. But my God, when he is in his element like that. The boy is unstoppable. He is just phenomenal. It was one of the best recoveries I think I've ever seen watching Formula One. Me. To be fair, everyone's going to talk about his comeback from the back of the grid. For me, the best move he made was the first move of the race. His move on Kimi was absolutely yes, stunning. Yes, from yes. miles behind on the same tyres of the same age was an absolutely stunning move. Absolutely yes, stunning. But but he drifted straight around the outside of his teammate and basically just chopped him off as soon as he got a millimetre in front of him. That, for me, was move of the year. Alex, answer a question from the chat room. Matt Graff says, so what about the marbles then? Lots of rubber offline to adhere to those tyres. So he doesn't understand because we always hear going offline is really bad because of the marbles, which stop you getting contact patch onto the ground, I guess. Why is that different in the wet? So in the dry, you want to stay away from all those marbles because it um, it gives a different layer of grip on the tyres. So it's, it, it, it disturbs what the tyre is doing and, and the way you want the tyre to be. On the racing line, during in the wet, it's the all the rubber that's laid down gets slick. You put a piece of rubber on the floor and make it wet, then try and walk over it, it's going to be really slippery. So where... Um, all the bit, all the stuff is on the outside of the circuit. It's just extra grip. It's very different in the wet. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm willing to give Verstappen great credit for yes, getting right on and taking Kimi. I'm willing to give him credit for showing he can overtake Nico Rosberg when Rosberg is struggling in wet conditions. Give him credit for taking different lines to everybody else, being incredibly inventive and brave on the racetrack. And I'll give him credit because I'm tempted to say. Well, he was going through cars that were not as good as him, so it's easy to look good recovering past cars that aren't aren't don't have that that same performance. But look at Ricardo. Ricciardo was there in the same position. Max got past him and got past Kvyat very quickly, and Ricardo was was sat there waiting. Now I've I've been you know skeptical of Max's driving skill, but here in the wet, here next to Ricardo, who we all rate as a racing god, he disappeared. Vettel also had a heck of a lot longer to recover through the field after his incident, uh, after one of the restarts, and uh, didn't get anywhere near as high up as he did. The chat room is guessing Matt Trumpet's age, and someone said 45. Is the quality of the live stream that bad? Does it, is, it, is it really low res? Do I need to up the bitrate? Well, look at that. That's Matt's mean face. Matt, do you want to respond to the chat room? Yeah, absolutely. Would 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 love to respond to the chat room. Got yes, it. I was alive for the moon shot, and yes, absolutely. Spanners is being harsh, no doubt about it. He's making cheeky comments about my age, completely unwarranted. But you know, speaking of unwarranted age comments, I mean, did I catch you correctly, Stevens? Calling Verstappen boy. I mean, isn't he older than you? No, he is the only driver younger than me. 
and uh, very soon there will be two drivers younger than me when Lance Stroll comes onto the grid next year I will be a veteran of the sport by then uh, Chris uh, the, that that figure it changes surprisingly quickly before you suddenly look at the grid and go hmm it's only Kimi Raikkonen I think is older than me at the moment and Alex you're fast approaching that too let's go on to the podium We do awards, we do things like that, we do thing of the weekend. My thing of the weekend goes to Lewis Hamilton giving his jacket to a grid girl to save time later on at the after party player. Who is your thing of the weekend, Ryan Ferret Ferris? I think that the thing of the weekend was the fact that the race showed off the highs and the lows of the sport pretty much. Uh, We had... uh, the, all of the teams showing that they're how much of a community they are when uh, Massa was being uh, clapped, cheered in uh, after his incident. We also saw the uh, likes of people spinning off and the likes of people doing quite well. And we also saw the annoying factor that is the uh, race stewards when it comes to wet racing. Right. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> strangest answer we've ever had to to thing of the weekend. Van Jean, Jeansy. Do better. Your, what's your thing I, of the weekend? I'm stuck between two. From the beginning of the weekend, it was it was Palmer. I'm I'm so pleased that he's got a drive for next year. But um, <laughs> Lewis on the podium saying, "Nah, it was a really easy race," and I was watching telly most of the way through it. <laughs> I'm stuck between those two because um, they both <laughs> they're both really really moments for two very different reasons. But I like Ryan's favorite part of the race is the race. That's great. Yeah, the the race. It's really. Good. I'm glad we have him. Glad we have him on. Trumpets, what's your thing of the weekend? Well, you know, this was a tough one for me because the television comment was kind of brilliant. Uh, from Lewis. It's like, well, I was watching it all on television out in front of all you slow people. <laughs> that was kind of fun. He said it was easy. He said it was the easiest uh, race ever. Yeah, well, I would not have wanted to have been out there driving that car in those conditions, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, I'm going to have to kind of go with Grosjean's picking up seventh in quali that that might have been the thing of the weekend but then i'm at war because of course carlos signs has my number and he finished what did he finish six today and then sauber sauber whom i love to mock sauber got ahead of manor as well so there are many things of the weekend that can be grasped at but yeah you know at the end of the day it's going to be one of those which one did you pick oh i picked verstappen almost crashing into the wall and then just barely keeping ahead of rosberg do you know who agrees with you? Blackout19 in the chat room as well. Think of the weekend of a stamp and save on the start-finish straight. Rainbow sparkles. Still sticking with that, huh? Well, you responded. Um, you responded, so, by the rule of the playground. Well, that's your name. my bit. I have to say something, otherwise you're going to yell at me. You could have um, remained silent until I said Chris Stevens, but you chose not to. You responded and legitimized it. What is your thing of the weekend? Haven't got all day. Well, if Matt hadn't said 17 of them, I, I, I can't come up with anything original now. Yeah, he does that. Um, just but think. mine is most definitely, for the first time since his debut in Australia last year, Felipe Nazar securing those two points for Sauber, giving them 10th in the constructors ahead of Mana and a position which is worth $30 million. Hannah in the chat room agrees with you, Felipe Nazar. All right, let's do the bad thing. This is the Bad Thing Award. Alex, give us the bad thing, Jeansy. Jensen Button is just a massive 
disappointment ever Ooh. since he announced his retirement because that's what it is. He's never coming back. Um, I agree. It's just been a I massive, agree. massive disappointment. I've never been his biggest fan, if I'm brutally honest. But no, he was. He's yeah. He's he's close to pony for me as well. He could have spent this last season, you know, having the same sort of attitude as Alonso, who's been kind of fun and jolly, but he has been very, very negative in press conferences, very kind of poor me, you know, poor me. And it's, you know, it's hard to have sympathy because it looks like you've got a pretty cool life still in general, but he has just been so, so down. Um, Matt, who's your, oh no, the, the missed pony, the bad thing. Missed the, the pony the bad, award? The bad yeah, one. Who missed the pony? Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you who missed the pony. It was Romain Grosjean, who after a brilliant qualifying, literally missed the apex because he was busy spinning into the barrier on his reconnaissance lap. Oh, he no. never made it to the apex, so how can he miss oh, it? Do yeah. you think that was because his fault? Because he never made it there. Do you think that was his fault? Line, because the commentary I was watching did not seem to think, did not seem to blame him. They seemed to just say, "Well, I mean, the back end when he literally missed an apex." So I just kind of went with that. No, I mean, in in the in the event that you needed to blame someone for a thing that was entirely and totally their fault, then yeah, it would be a different story. But who have we missed? I don't out? blame him because conditions were terrible. Huh? Who have we missed out? Have we missed out Ryan? Now, Ryan, in advance, I'm going to say, what's your missed apex award? Don't say like, well, you know, the universe just seems to lack. Per- I want you to really kind of focus down on a thing. Okay, not it's a lot, not not just F1 or motorsport in general. Have you got a, a missed apex award? I'm going to say <laughs> the world, the universe. No, nah, nah. uh, I'm going to I'm going to say the stewards or race control because it takes some doing to turn the whole of the Interlagos cir- uh, uh, circuit into like an old Roman Colosseum where everyone's going. Ooh. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't look happy. Who have I missed out? Who else hasn't done a missed apex? Is it onto the chat room? Chris Stevens. For me, it's uh, Sebastian Vettel didn't perform well and uh from what we had the only one who didn't want to race today and that for me is not the mark of a racing driver i i agree hannah's saying as much as i hate to admit it alex is right jensen was particularly depressing today and blackout 19 says he blamed something to do with the engine rather than his right foot all right so i've got a feeling that matt wants to take this on Who gets the Pony Award, Trumpets? Oh, I feel I feel, I feel like Verstappen did when Hamilton backed Rosberg up into him. Yeah, Button gets the award because how could he not? He had an entire weekend of ponying up for this award. So how can we not give it to him? Do you know do you know what really gets me is that he was making it very clear in the post qualifying interviews and making it very clear during the race that that they had an issue. I think in qualifying he even said, Oh yeah, so you fixed that issue then. And and that's like that is really calling out like a particular group of people or a particular mechanic for not fixing a fault. And that and then he did it again in the race. He was like, well, it was like this in qualifying. It's exactly the same issue. It hasn't magically gone away in the race. So that gets to the point where you're you're kind of using your celebrity position just to settle some into garage beef. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was unseemly. It's almost like he's saying. I'm tired of having to work hard as a multi-millionaire worldwide celebrity jet setter. I'm really tired of having to work hard and not always having things go exactly the way I want them, which, to be honest, is not going to get a lot of people on your side. Right. But one one interesting thing to point out, which 
generally isn't particularly a great thing is the fact the whole thing that was being said about the whole handbrake button on uh, Button's car, uh, which essentially is used, uh, they're, they're using it not as actually a handbrake, but uh, to minimize uh, understeer into corners, if anyone techie would understand, yeah. Okay, we'll assume that some people will understand. Blackout in the chat room says Vettel gets the Pony Award for his, but my nose was a tiny bit in front. Comment, Chris. I have a, a Pony Award for Gunther Steiner and Esteban Gutierrez for a, a an almost an altercation that they had in the Haas garage when uh, Gutierrez retired. I, I've no idea what was being said, but Gutierrez almost seems to sort of brush past his team principal and and he and he and he, he grabs him by the shoulder and it almost seems to say like hey you look here boy you don't have a drive next year <laughs> all right chris some exciting things have happened in your world you've gone beyond the scope of your journalism i've seen you popping up all over the place tell us a bit about that uh yeah so i was on uh talk sport after the mexican uh grand prix wow the lovely hour of 1am who cares man that's uh, national radio that's a big deal well done well i'm i'm back on there in six hours that's absolutely well, incredible and you also you guessed it on another podcast on an italian or a german podcast uh, it was a canadian uh podcast um scuderia f1 uh podcast uh lovely lovely people uh running that they wanted to get somebody on to sort of help promote them and i yeah, i was very happy to be on so competition is that competition i am uh available for hire <laughs> Hurts, if man. you're willing to uh to, to start throwing a bit of money my way no no i'm i'm happy to do whatever comes my way and people can find you where you can find me at c stevens underscore journal on twitter and you can find my written work at formulaspy.com oh hang on a minute i've got a bit of a give a chest pain is that is that wind Oh, no, it's your inevitable betrayal. Alex Van Jean, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Van Jean, um, and you can find my YouTube page, which is under the same thing. So um, what happens on your stuff what, on there? What happens on there? What you, you you karting? I've got a bunch of my karting videos and stuff on there. So we go and to some pictures and videos of cats and <laughs> me trying to win something at Codemasters from seven years ago. But uh... so we go on YouTube but, uh, and what yeah, do we type cool in? What do we type in when we get to YouTube? Alex Van Jean, V A N G E E N. Gonna say it's not immediately obvious that would be a G and not a J because it's all foreign-y sounding. Ryan, where can people find you? Downforce Radio doing stuff. Yeah, or you can find me in my mum's basement. I mean, you can find me uh, on Twitter at ferret115. That is IT, not ET. I don't live with my mum. She lives with me. Matt Trumpets, do you live in a basement? No, I live on the third floor of a very wonderful residential building. And where can people... In an office, in a closet. And where can people find the things you do? You can find me on the Twitters at MattPT55. And, of course, you can always go out and buy some of my wife's books, the last of which, A Reluctant Betrothal, can be bought at the Amazons and Barnes and Nobles' type thingies near you. So no call from Toto Wolf this time, but he did call Ryan Ferret Ferris's dad to ask him to make sure that Ryan didn't interfere with the podcast by answering questions in a very broad and vague manner that nobody could understand. However, it seems that message didn't get through. Catch up with me at SpannersReady.com. Check out my log at Spanners Log on there. Find me on Twitter at SpannersReady. And until next time, remember that wounds heal. 
Chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Matt Graff in the chat room says, because obviously he's seen the unedited version of that ending. Oh my goodness, put it out of its misery. Just put it out of its misery. Log just sounds so wrong. I don't get that. Why do people keep saying that? (laughs) (laughs) But anybody here besides me ever watched the Ren and Stimpy? Oh my God, that that, that show used to disturb me. Did you ever see the commercial for Log? No. Not, it was a, it was a, it was a long, long time ago. Log, oh, yeah. It's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's better than that. It's good. <laughs> <laughs>